Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from South Pacific Pictures Chief Executive Kelly Martin and Managing Director Andrew Schusterman about how the New Zealand media landscape is poised for a shake-up. Federation Entertainment co-founders Pascal Breton and Lionel Uzan discuss the French producer-distributor's recent €50 million Euro investment and plans for expansion. And Arte France Director of Fiction Olivier Watling talks about how the Franco-German cultural channel is looking to bolster its international scripted ambitions. South Pacific Pictures is the biggest production company in New Zealand, where a new government-funded public video streaming platform is up for consideration to take on the mighty international streaming giants. Kelly Martin, South Pacific's chief executive, and Andrew Schusterman, its managing director, spoke to Nico Franks at their offices in Auckland about exporting their content internationally and the future of the Kiwi screen sector. They began by talking about why their hit murder mystery series, The Brokenwood Mysteries, is paving the way for a more international funding model for local content in New Zealand. It's always had a really clear sense of what it is and who it's for. It is a show that has got international appeal, I think, because it's just a recognisable genre, but told in a nice Kiwi way. Uh, I think the level and tone of it hits a good um, place with audiences. It's not too dark, it's not too, there's nothing vicious about it. And each episode is quite satisfying in and of itself. So you, you don't need to watch every episode, you can just tune in for one and enjoy it. And then probably you'll keep coming back because you enjoy it. Yeah, it's been described as the kind of Kiwi midsummer murders. Yeah. And it kind of goes against the grain of what we think of when we think of international drama these days, which is, you know, big, huge, um, very dark, very heavy. Um, to what extent do you think? not being that has kind of actually helped it. I think it's helped it lots. And I think that um, whilst there is a place for the big, dark Hollywood, actually large segments of audiences just want to be entertained and don't want to be challenged particularly. And, and they, they just want to enjoy a couple of hours on, on the couch watching the telly. Um, and that's what this show is. And, and I, I think, actually, I think in the next few years, increasingly, that kind of drama, I think it will have a bit of a resurgence because people haven't been having a great time. So it's kind of nice to watch something that isn't making you feel worse um, about the world. And one of the platforms that's on internationally is Acorn TV. And I think the recent episodes premiered on Acorn TV before they did in New Zealand. So to what extent do you kind of make it with Acorn TV in mind rather than your domestic broadcaster? Brokenwood is, is leading the way, actually, in terms of a New Zealand funding model. Uh, the first six seasons of the show we made with New Zealand On Air Funding, which is the government funding body, um, and the majority of drama that's made in this country, it's changing a little bit now because of the tax rebate, um, the what's it, screen production grant rebate that's available. But traditionally, drama in this country was made with New Zealand On Air Funding with a small contribution from the broadcaster's and that was it. And with Brokenwood, because it's actually always sold reasonably well from the very first season, all three media were always putting in a distribution advance to, to elevate our budget level a bit. And so as we went through the six seasons, the first six seasons with New Zealand on air funding, we always we, we increased our distribution advance every year and we asked the government funding agency for less. Um, 
traditionally they will only ever fund up to six seasons of something. There's never been anything that has gone for longer than six seasons in this market because we've got such a limited pool of money, the new needs to come through. If, if, if you were only ever funding that show, there's only enough money to make three or four series in the whole market. Um, so with Brokenwood, because we had six seasons and because it had in grown uh, internationally and because the international sales were so strong, we were able to take advantage of the tax rebate system. So we no longer need to get New Zealand on air money. We can put together a deal with Acorn as our primary commissioner of the show. We do a license fee deal with Television New Zealand now and we use the tax rebate to fund it. So actually Acorn are the biggest investors um, and uh, yeah, they're a bigger investor than our local investors. Um, and we are kind of reliant on them um, to get us, to keep us going with future seasons. And we have just, so Series 7 is playing now. We've just gone into pre-production on Season 8. But yeah, that's why it played first on Acorn. Um, nothing tricky about it. It was just where the most money came from. Andrew, do you see that as kind of key going forward for the Kiwi TV industry is developing and producing with these global players or at least international players in mind rather than the domestic broadcasters? Well, the landscape's changing rapidly. And so where the state broadcaster, TVNZ, and what was TV3, which is now owned by Discovery, were the dominant players of market, that's starting to change as more platforms come into the country. So doing deals like the Acorn deal where, you know, 10 years ago your lead broadcaster and market would have been your primary platform is now going to become uh, more prolific, I think. And that's only good for the producers, for the local producers, to find those platforms globally that want to produce New Zealand stories in New Zealand uh, for international audience, for local and international audiences. The key thing for us going forward is getting those streamers now, looking at New Zealand as a market, more than just a, uh, a production hub to make you know, great dramas like Sweet Tooth, but that isn't a New Zealand story. And so what we want to do is create New Zealand stories for global markets and get those streamers involved um, to increase, you know, the size of this production industry now. You know, we have the capability to do it. Um, we've certainly got the locations to do it and we've got the crews to do it. Uh, and now it's just time for those streamers to come on board and get those stories global. Can I just say about that as well? I think that the New Zealand stories, I think the, the beautiful thing about the streamers uh, internationally is that stories from all around the world resonate much more now with audiences than yeah. they used to. So people aren't so focused on their local. And I, I think of something like Lupin, say, which was a big on uh, Netflix in New Zealand. In the past, and we've both been directors of programming, so we've both done programming for networks, you know, you would never have been able to put a foreign language program like that but actually it was in the top 10 for Netflix in New Zealand for quite a long time. So audiences around the world, not just here, so, so if New Zealand audiences are more open to French content, you know, makes sense. French audiences are also going to be more open to New Zealand content. So I think it's great if New Zealand stories can actually travel. In terms of the pressure being put on those streamers to commission locally, I know in, like in France they're, they're, there's quotas and in Australia, there's a move for quotas. Would you want to see the same thing happen in New Zealand? Yes, and I, I think now's the time to start actually uh, creating that case. Um, and, and it's for those reasons that you know that I mentioned earlier that, that we can't rely on our great broadcast partners and market to deliver all the eyeballs anymore. You know, the model is changing. Uh, the streamers are coming in 
uh, rapidly into markets uh, of our size and taking eyeballs away. And it's only quite right that within those platforms there is a representation of our stories for local eyeballs but also for international eyeballs as well. Because otherwise New Zealand stories will get lost yeah. and that isn't great for New Zealanders and particularly not for young New Zealanders. You know, if they're being raised on a, a total appetite of American or English or international content but not ever seeing themselves reflected, then that, that doesn't feel culturally like a particularly good place for us to be. There's talk about a kind of New Zealand online platform focused on, on domestic content. Would you be in favour of that? And what do you see as the potential complications? Firstly, kudos to TVNZ for coming out with a great on-demand service because they uh, they've had the insight to be able to do that and have pulled off a, a very good local streaming service with a tonne of local content and international content as well. A New Zealand Inc. style service that carried just New Zealand content, so similar to a BritBox, I see that more potentially as for an international market than anything else. And so that would require, you know, quite a bit of work as far as looking where rights sat in different markets and looking at um, blackouts in different markets and or geo-blocking in different markets as to how that would work. I think it's an interesting concept. Uh, as to who owns that and who runs that, that's a conversation to be had. Uh, should the New Zealand government be involved in creating a New Zealand Inc. streaming platform globally? Uh, probably not. Uh, should independent producers and those production companies look at putting a, a consortium together to do that or privatise it? Possibly. Uh, but it's definitely something that's worth looking at. Whoever looks at it and however it gets explored, it needs to be looked at as a business Absolutely. model, not just let's let everyone in the world see New Zealand shows. I, I don't think that will I don't think that will be the thing that um, makes our shows resonate. Uh, yeah, the last thing you want to do is have something that's that's not professionally done, is what I would say. And I think that's a big thing in this market too, is that sometimes people are afraid to acknowledge that we are working in the film and television business. And yes, all the creative is hugely important. You don't have a business without it, but you need to have the business side of it as well. And that needs to be one of the drivers for us all, is actually driving the growth of business so that we can make more stuff and, and get opportunities in the world and, and make use of them. So, I mean, I think a Kiwi Inc., we've talked about versions of this ourselves, you know, how to get our content out into the world and the best way to do it. But it does need to be a business model that's set up. And there's a kind of grand plan for the Kiwi screen sector over the next 10 years that, that is focused on maintaining this, you know, very buoyant screen, um, service work industry, but also growing the amount of local production that happens here and a big focus on Maori and Indigenous um, storytellers. And in terms of how South Pacific is approaching that, are you kind of satisfied in terms of your, your slate and the content you have coming through? Or are you kind of actively kind of looking for those stories at the moment? I think the thing about Maori stories in particular in New Zealand is that that is the point of difference with the rest of the world. We've got stories coming through that are culturally significant. Um, we're also really, really conscious of the fact that we understand that if we're going to tell Maori stories, we need to tell those stories with Maori storytellers. We can't own them. We can't. And, and, and I think as a working model, we're much more open 
as a company than we used to be, so we will partner on stuff. And I think partnering is really, really important, particularly with stories which are um, not our stories to tell. I mean, we're developing at the moment a really great story with some Samoan writers, uh, which we're pretty excited about. Um, another series that we've got coming up, which has got a lot of Tongan, Chinese, Maori content in it. So, I mean, we are telling stories that involve not just Pākehā New Zealanders, because you'd be nuts to try and do that in this market. But I think we see the importance of partnering. Uh, we can't just do it ourselves. Yeah, I think we're particularly cognizant of that. And that's been the quantum shift, I think, for the industry in the past five years. Um, and I think this is a global a global thing as well, that the correct storyteller should be telling the correct, their stories. Um, it doesn't mean that we can't play a part in those stories, but we can't lead them uh, because they're not our stories to tell, as Kelly said. So it's about partnering with the correct people and getting that done. And I think that... That, that also takes a mind shift as well. That just doesn't happen for both parties. And so it takes time to be able to work the learning patterns and the working patterns that require that to happen. And I think that we're getting ourselves through that process now. I think also in terms of the business side of that, there needs to be a level of trust. So when we say that we're open to partnering, that has to be meaningful. That means sharing, you know, that not sharing actually. That means equal split on on your back end. It means it means making sure that all the way through the process it is a shared uh, setup um, that no one is the boss of anyone else, particularly. Um, but that's exciting because we, we as an organisation, we've got great infrastructure. You know, we have been around for a long time. We know what we're doing. So there's a real benefit for people to partner with us then they can then grow their businesses with the knowledge that they gain from working with us. So there's a, it's kind of a win-win, I think. Traditionally, a lot of Kiwi films have, have done superbly internationally. Do you see film as a kind of uh, a potential really kind of um, fertile ground? Because I know you recently produced So This Town. Um, and what have you kind of taken from getting a, a film off the ground compared to getting a, a series off the ground? I don't understand why people make films, is what I learned. I think film's bonkers. Um, I got involved in that project. It was a very, very low-budget project. It was a great way for me to learn, hands-on, kind of learn about how the film industry works because my background has been 100% TV. So I've got a pretty good sense of film now, and I think it's crazy. Um, and I think it's getting harder. My impression is that it's getting harder and harder to fund feature films. And to, you know, theatrically, there's a real issue around the world. Again, the streamers are kind of muscling in on that. So whilst I'm still interested in film for us as a business, it's not a driver, and I don't believe it ever will be. It's kind of a nice to have. And there's a kudos attached to film that, that um, traditionally people have seen film as, as a bit more special. I think that's changing as well, though. I think um, the level of drama in this market now, you're much more likely in the past there would be a conversation of a pitching of a drama series and someone would go, what about if we made it a film? And now people will come with a film and you go, well, hang on, let's see, could we make this into a TV show? Because it's going to be easier to fund um, than film and, yeah, maybe more satisfying. Yeah, I, I think that part of it is is that the budgets, uh, you know, if you look at this, you know, out of, out of Hollywood in particular... If you can have a similar budget uh, per episode to a feature and tell you a story in six hours as opposed to 90 minutes or two hours, why wouldn't you and get that calibre of cast? 
And I think Hollywood has led the way for the rest of the world to follow and go, you know, there's a project that we're working on at the moment that um, uh, that historically we would have uh, made a film out of that we're now sitting back going, well, hold on. And in fact, that's where we came from it. That's where it, that's where it started as a film and we went, hold on, how about if we look at this as being a serialised TV series? And the creatives, you know, there was there was a moment of going, huh, yeah, actually that works. So I think that that change is definitely, definitely happening. Now we know Kiwis love to travel and ordinarily you both would be at different markets and meeting with execs all around the world. Obviously New Zealand is, you know, you can't leave basically. So how are you kind of keeping tabs on some of the kind of What's, you know, what your colleagues are doing around the world. I suppose it helps being kind of part of all three media because you're kind of, you're looped in. But, you know, normally a, a MIP, you'd see billboards for, and you'd be like, oh, well, that's the big show in inverted commas of this year. How are you kind of getting a, a sense of what's big in TV at the moment? Online, like the rest of the world. Um, and it works and you can get a sense of what's happening and you can still and we're both lucky that we've been around for a while rightly or wrongly so we have you know contacts already in place and so you can still reach out to people there's a there's also a kind of slightly cool thing that's happened which is if you're trying to set up a zoom call with someone who's reasonably senior somewhere who you might have struggled to get a meeting with it they're they're kind of available to have zoom calls and we've had a lot of good calls with senior execs from around the world for for streamers or for networks or whatever, it isn't the same as getting to go on a plane and meet with people face-to-face. And I think over time it will pall a bit. This is a global issue, so we're all not sharing creatively. So possibly, globally, we're not in the greatest creative spaces. And I look at that when I'm talking about unscripted. Um, we're not seeing lots of new different formats being, you know, pitched globally at the moment. There's a lot of the same going on. I think probably people are sitting on things for a while and waiting for the next markets to to be able to pitch those in. Um, and it's all about timing. So we kind of feel like it, there's a bit of a waiting game going on as well. And uh, that's just the state of the world at the moment. As you say, though, having all three as our yeah. as our kind of... Um what are they called? Owners. <laughs> uh, but but dealing a lot with their international team, they keep us pretty on top of what's going on and that's always a good in in terms of um, what's going on in different markets because they are dealing with every market in the world. So, yeah. To what extent is there a kind of worry that as the outside world starts to reopen with, with vaccinations and, and countries reopening their borders, you know, there was a, an event in France, um, Annecy, the animation festival that took place earlier this month, is there a worry that New Zealand could almost start to be kind of left behind? It's business as usual. We're a tiny, tiny market at the bottom of the world. And when we're here, we all love to talk about how the rest of the world's so excited about New Zealand content. There's nothing will put you in your place quicker than going out to the rest of the world. You know, every time I would go to the UK, every time I would go to MIP or MIPCOM or whatever, I've always been aware that we are teeny wee. We just have to be really focused. For us as a business, we're focused on what do we need to do to keep our business buoyant and, um, yeah, we do what we can. But I don't know about you, but I've always known that we're an itty-bitty blip in 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 the screen industry, really. It doesn't mean we can't do good stuff, but we just need to be focused on... I'm not going to try and take on... The Hollywood companies, we're never going to have the budgets, we're never going to have the 
but we can still do what we do well. And so as the rest of the world opens up, I do go, it's business as usual. It's back to where we've always been. <laughs> and is it a case that as soon as you're vaccinated, you'll, you'll be out of here on a plane to, to an event as soon as you can? Kind of what's your expectation? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I think we've talked about that too. You know, we could leave now and go somewhere else in the world, but I don't think I don't think either of us are rushing to do that. Um, but yeah, I guess once the vaccines are done, um, that'll be a conversation. Andrew, ready to fly? Getting there, I, I was talking to a mate the other day who doesn't work in this industry, but he said, you know, we're so used to doing Zoom calls now that do you even need to travel for work again? And his point was it's going to take one person to jump on that plane and meet with someone and get a deal done for the whole world to go back into that space again of going globally to do deals in all industries. So, yeah, I, I think that we will be, you know, we will be back at MIP. Uh, it certainly won't be the October one that they're pitching now, but sometime next year I think we'll be back in the markets. But also don't forget that for us to go up to any of those markets, you're talking 40 hours travelling time. It's a nightmare. Have I missed that in the last 12 months? No, I haven't. Um, I thought I would, but I, but I really have not missed my time in airports and my time on planes. French producer-distributor Federation Entertainment is known for hit series including Marseille, The Bureau and Find Me in Paris. The company recently secured a 50 million euro investment from private equity firm Montefiore, which it will use to grow its pipeline of programming and expand into new territories including the UK, Germany and Scandinavia. Federation co-founders Pascal Breton, who's also group chief executive, and Lionel Ouzan, also group chairman, spoke to Ruth Laws about these developments and their views on European Union plans to limit the amount of UK content on continental TV screens as well as the industry's recent spate of mergers and acquisitions, including that of French broadcasters TF1 and MCs. I'm having this interview with you um, about the deal that you struck with um, Montefiore. I just wondered if you could tell me about the deal with them and how it came about. Well, uh, we are a very fast-growing company, so we, we need to invest more every year into both projects. We have about uh, 200 projects uh, alive, I would say, which, is, which means a lot of money in development. And more than projects, it's also investing in, in the, the best talents and the best producers. So the idea was is that uh, yes we are we need to grow extremely fast because as you know the, all the platforms need more project and to provide all these projects we need to invest a lot so it's a mix of these new producers that we hire everywhere and in Spain for instance now we have five producers in Spain we bought a company in Israel that we are used to work with because uh, Lionel did a lot of productions with them in the last years. Same in Italy, we have uh, Fabula, we bought Fabula, but now we are hiring new producers in uh, around Fabula to help them to grow because uh, once again, Fabula used to do one or two series a year, with mainly with Netflix, especially Babies, is very well-known series. And now they, they have to produce five next year. So how can they manage that? They need more producers to produce, but also to develop and to, to attract the best talent. Sometimes 
sometimes you need to put money uh, at the beginning of the of the deal to 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 really to really attract the talents and to to say well we want to work a lot with you you are a great writer you are a great showrunner let's let's work together this needs money so this is why we, we we are at a level of growth that is very very strong uh, the profit is there we needed a bigger company a, big, a bigger partner with a fund from Montefiore is considered as one of the two or three best funds in France to help these mid-cap, as they say, companies. And we convinced them. We had, of course, we had uh, talks with about five or six different funds. A lot of them were very excited, but they were the most excited. They also offered the best deal and we that's why we decided to choose them and uh, and they chose us on the other side because uh, they have to of course they have to be confident in the future the future of our business is quite uh, strong and i understand that you're looking to acquire production companies have you had any talks yet and which countries are you look, looking to buy production companies in and why well we will do a mix of developing from scratch new companies with the best talents like in uk we will launch Federation UK early September and we are creating a company from scratch with two producers. And what kind of content will that produce? English speaking, I would say in two directions. One, dedicated to the UK market and two, dedicated to, I don't know, let's call that uh, international projects, international co-productions, you know, projects originated by UK talent and UK producer, but dedicated potentially to, you know, other territories or worldwide distribution or worldwide uh, uh, exploitation. So that, then that's a creation. It's not an acquisition of a company. Uh, We will probably do the same in Germany. We hope also in September. So that's what we call internal growth in a way because it's you know you create companies around people and then there is a external growth which we've not really done in the past and with the the new the new investors and the new means we have which we will start to do it will be but but we want to keep this uh this mix of a combination of uh internal and external uh, uh growth with our producing partners yeah so it's it's not exactly what you would call a build-up where you just borrow a lot of money and buy the the biggest companies to to get the the biggest revenues. That's not exactly our strategy. Our strategy is really to focus on who are the best producers if they are independent and if and we if we can make a good deal with them like Lionel was mentioning it's perfect if they have an independent company that is already profitable that is already full of potential that we can help grow faster then we are also very interested so this this could uh, mean some some British companies some Scandi companies we are we are definitely looking for that market Germany potentially France of course because we know that market very well and there is still potential there. Animation uh, companies as well are interesting. So it means uh, really animation for kids because we feel that this field uh, needs to grow. Documentaries, potentially. Some, some documentaries. So some. it's a mix of us in, you know, in new territories, uh, some territories in which we are already
already producers where we would uh, adapt with some existing companies and then in, in the fields of yeah, documentary and animation uh, in addition to, to fiction. Yeah. And distribution. Distribution companies are interesting because they already have libraries, they, they, they know the market and it's quite easy to add two or three distribution companies together and it's not such a big deal to work together and to make that one plus one makes five or six and not three. Um, and why specifically the UK as opposed to somewhere else in Europe or even further afield? Well, uh, we have our own companies in Italy and Spain. So, you know, if we, when you look at the map, UK, UK is, uh, is, is one of the lack of the lacking, uh, you know, pieces of the puzzle. So that's one thing. Second, obviously, because the, the level of, uh, of talent and creativity is, I think, unmatched, probably the best market in terms of the shows that are being done in the UK. Also, there is a great, uh, and we really want to build this synergy between our uh, US company, uh, our US partners, and the, the UK companies. So building that bridge, which already exists, you know, for a lot of US studios, of course, or in the in the reverse for a lot of uh, British companies working a lot with uh, US broadcasters, US platforms, but directly in Los Angeles. So there is a, a bridge, a natural bridge, which already exists and that we couldn't really uh, benefit from. So that's a, a key aspect. And, and also in terms of the the regulation in, in the UK, which is uh, not so bad for independent uh, production companies. So the, the combination of that. And last but not least, uh, what we did uh, this year with uh, Around the World in 80 Days uh, is a perfect business model because it's a show that is European with UK talents, mainly financed in Europe, then sold in US and sold in the rest of the world by federations. So this is exactly the kind of shows we want to develop. European shows with UK talents shot in English and of course with a very, very large commercial potential in the world. For the, all these reasons, we feel that we could bring something to UK also because otherwise the UK companies don't need us. But they, they could need us because we are distributors, because we we, we can, we can co-finance their shows in France, in Italy, in Germany, because uh, we, we can package together shows that are bigger and that are, that are more global. And I wonder, given that you're going to launch a UK company, um, what you make of the recent developments with the EU looking to curtail the amount of UK content on European Union TV screens and how that affects business? It seems that uh, there, there is no change in the relationships uh, between UK companies content and European content. So normally it shouldn't change. Uh, and normally, I don't think there will be a Brexit in our in our business, which is, I think, great for, for UK and great for Europe as well. Uh, but we'll see. But I guess that there is no other way. I mean, in, in UK, even BBC and definitely ITV and Sky, they need to be international and global and they can't just be British. So I think uh, it's it's already done. It's already, we are already in a, in a world where everybody wants to, to go international. Would you say your focus is more Europe? Do you think there's less interest in, in US stories and that's a more of a broad reflection of the TV landscape? No, it's, it's not a less interest. I would say it's more that uh, we feel that the European market is uh, is really at the beginning of, of its growth. You know, it's already growing fast, but we think it's it's only the beginning. And we see that many American companies want to invest in Europe, and uh, but it's 
it's not so easy to do. Cultural differences, regulations, relationship to talents, etc. So, uh, so we feel we have a, you know, is it a competitive advantage? I mean, we are European, so let's play on our strengths. And let's, since we are Europeans, but we also have our partners in the US, we can already tap into, you know, creating that bridge and, uh, and have, you know, our formats from Europe being done in the US, some of the US shows being uh, European centric in the content and can benefit, like Pascal was saying, um, on around the world, can benefit from uh, European funding and European broadcasters. So yeah, Europe is, uh, yeah, is a clear focus. Yeah, and, and the business models are also interesting. And, and the business model of the US companies can become interesting if there is this bridge with Europe. And given Banerjee's buyout of Endemol Shine and Ash's recent acquisition of Red Planet Pictures and Nguyen's continuing growth, do you think France is the new global TV powerhouse? I, I don't I don't think it's, I mean, it's new. It's new. It's definitely new because this didn't have, exist two years ago. It's not as strong as UK, really, by far. By far, the biggest market is UK and it's, and it's a global market and they, and all the big, big, best players in UK understood that they are they can really do it uh, in US and everywhere. But uh, apart from UK, yes, in Europe, really the most important market is France now. And you have five or six of the best European players who are French, like uh, Benny J, uh, Studio Canal, UN, Media One and Federation. So, th- th- and we, yes, there are very few other European players that, uh, that have that level and that really want to to grow in the world. How does the recent string of merger and acquisition activity in the industry at large change things for the company? I don't know. I, I'd say, well, it only shows uh, that we are in the good industry, <laughs> I would say, <laughs> and that, uh, and that uh, betting on the capacity to grow, you know, uh, might be a good idea. Shows that, you know, again, quality content. And of course, it also shows that uh, things are accelerating, clearly. There is a race. So where is the end of the race? When is the end of the race? And uh, who's going to win? It's difficult to assess. You know, we hope to be to be among the, the, the winners or the, the people who manage to... Uh, to succeed in this market, I think it's I think it's only good news in a way. You know, some people get scared of, of that. We are not because we believe it's not. It's a growing market, so there's room for. It's not going to be a, a monopoly kind of business. We we don't trust that. You know, the the, the winner takes all. Uh, you know, which 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 seems to be the case in the tech business, which which has proven uh, really real in many in many uh, digital businesses. We believe it's not going to be the case in the content business because its nature is is different. Well, that's that's our that's our vision and uh, our belief. Let's see. So so we believe it's good news, and and I would say the requirement but we've known that for many years now, is that it only means that you have to to go faster and faster. So it's another confirmation that we have to go faster and faster. It's a bit exhausting, but uh, apart from that... I think it's good news. And is Federation itself now an acquisition target? And given that you've done so much work with Netflix, would they be a potential candidate? Oh, there are many, there are many candidates. But uh, we definitely want to to follow our path and to grow on on what is really so specific in Federation, which is by its name a federation of talents and a way to share with the talents and with the producers and and to share also, of course, the best practice. Practice uh, between producers and uh, share all this know-how in financing shows and financing shows with pre-sales in different countries in Europe and all that. So 
we feel that we are quite unique in that and we want to grow and to dig in that way uh, because we feel that a lot of talents will need more and more to be protected and to be allied with people like us. That's uh, So we we don't feel it would work that we merge with a, with a huge uh, platform or studio. Uh, I, uh, of course, it could probably be a very good deal, maybe for both. But uh, on the long term, we feel that uh, we are stronger and, and the energy is much bigger if we are independent. And what are your thoughts on the merger between TF1 and M6? And what would this mean for business? Well, uh, we are not against it as long as it respects what was uh, always uh, the tradition, I would say, in France. Uh, I know maybe in UK as well, it's a bit the same, which is a, a good split between uh, uh, what the producers bring to them and how do we split the rights, especially the rights. So if if, the, if they want to become a monopoly on their market, I don't think it will work and I don't think they will have the right to, to merge. If they accept to share their power with the producers and some other little rules probably I think it will be probably uh, definitely good for them because it makes a lot of sense uh, in in terms of synergies and economy and it could be it could be also very good for the content because we need more content we need to produce more content in France and uh, it can't come only from the platform it needs to be also produced by local players and with think that could be good news. Arte France Director of Fiction Olivier Watling has plenty of reasons to be upbeat about his department's original drama output. As well as attracting record viewing levels over the past year, the Franco-German Cultural Channel's distinctive scripted voice is gaining a reputation for prestigious projects in the international co-production space. Arte has been an established Cobro partner for some time with series such as Spanish-French drama Hierro among its bigger titles. Recently, however, it's had success with French-led projects like last year's hit action thriller No Man's Land, given a significant boost by distribution also on Hulu, while Inhuman Resources, a drama starring former footballer Eric Cantona, has been its biggest hit so far, benefiting from the oxygen of playing out globally on Netflix. Watling spoke to Gunnar Cuse about Arte France's international scripted ambitions, co-production partnerships, the growing influence of streamers, and why reaching audiences on the right platform is becoming as important as the programming itself. We um, spoke a very long time ago now. It's actually, it's about three and a half years. <laughs> time flies. But yeah, does it, doesn't it indeed? Um, and it's very good uh, to be able to catch up with you. Lots has changed, lo- lots of developments. And it would be um, a timely moment to get uh, your perspective on where Arte's uh, fiction strategy is now. And what do you think? the Arte drama output and developments represent at this point in time? So maybe we could say that um, during the last three last years, we, we went more and more international, more and more European, meaning being partner on foreign co-productions, European co-productions, as we were before, but more and more and on more prestigious series, maybe. And uh, meaning, at the same time, being able to bring some French projects on an international co-production scheme, um, like we managed to do with, uh, for a start, with uh, No Man's Land, with a series called No Man's Land. And um, 
obviously, the streamers were helpful for this because, of course, Netflix, Amazon, not mentioning Hulu on No Man's Land, have been windows for our dramas in various countries. In April, we had um, a series, a six-part series with uh, Cantona. The, the international title was uh, in, Inhuman Resources. And uh, I remember it, it had lots of comments and positive feedbacks all around the world on Netflix. And it was a, a big hit. Actually, it's the greatest hit we ever had on, on our shows as ratings are, as far as the ratings are, are concerned. So we've been able to go to be in more and more international focal productions, but more and more visible on the international stage. And uh, at the same time, the other thing I would maybe stress is that we are still, I, I do not dare say more and more, but we are still original, meaning it's it's funny because it's a word, an often used word for signatures like original, like mm. Canal original or yeah. Netflix originals, obviously. But we have the feeling that though there are more and more streamers, though the offers of uh, through SVOD or through other channels is wider and wider, it's not getting more and more original. It's not getting more and more diverse. On the other hand, I would rather point at the fact that it's getting maybe less and less original since maybe for it has it has been so for one or two years. I, I would say that uh, at least for local French productions by these streamers, I have a feeling that it's getting closer to the traditional channels, mainstream mm-hmm. channels. So for us, there is definitely space for Arte with this famous step aside of our proposals, and we have this feeling that uh, it's. There's plenty, there's still plenty to do, plenty of work, because in the war between streamers, maybe they are taking less and less risk. And uh, though we are absolutely microscopic, we are ridiculously small compared with them, we can still be an edgy offer. What sort of audiences are you attracting? Now, last time we spoke, you said that, you know, that you were trying to attract a few more younger audiences and, and some of your productions were doing that, but putting off your core traditional audiences but uh that was obviously three and a half years ago and the landscape has completely transformed since then so what is your strategy now when you're trying to attract audiences do you want to go online with the same project that you have in linear for instance it's funny actually because reading looking back at the article at the interview three years ago it, it sounds like prehistory but because because we change a lot i must say because now we are convinced attracting the young audience is more or just as much a matter of media you put the shows on as the show itself. Because, for instance, for our shows, if you look at the ratings at the audience when it's on a TV, it's getting ever older. But on the opposite, the very same show on our platform, the audience is 15, 20 years younger. And even more, if you put it on YouTube, we have a YouTube channel. So definitely, and, 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 it's, and it's watched. I mean, it's not that young people say, well, it's uh, something for elder people <laughs> I'm not interested in. But it's funny. And of course, for instance, you see on Netflix, Netflix, for instance, if I, I don't want to make any advert for Netflix, but it, it, so it always strikes me when people have no idea, for instance, that it was an Arte show, because it's, of course, uh, presented as a Netflix original or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and I see, I read comments, posts on Facebook or tweets by young young people, 20, 20-year-old, 20 saying, well, there's a, cool, there's a cool show on Netflix, now it's, it's that and that. 
And uh, that, that was the very same show that uh, 60 year old people watched uh, when it was aired on RTT. Oh. Oh, for instance, Inhuman Resources, as okay. I said, because there were lots of comments on the on the series. So we don't have the fe- we don't have the feeling that writing or having stories or shooting for young audience is a is a goal in itself or is, or is the only way to attract a younger audience. Definitely, it's the the way to young, attract younger audience, at least to get in touch with them and offer them our shows, is more a matter of being on the right media. I mean, there are some other challenges for everyone, including obviously the pandemic. And I don't know whether that affected your pipeline uh, of original productions or was the fact that you uh, do have quite a a vibrant uh, co-production strategy, did that protect you to some degree? So actually the pandemic was... um... It's very, but for, like for any channels, I guess it's very ambiguous because it, it. Of course, we had programs. We had to change schedules. Uh, we had shootings interrupted. For instance, we have this series that we are screening now, Maroni mm-hmm. season two, and it was stopped right in the middle of the shooting one year ago, and they had to wait till October to be able to start again. And uh, so, so these bad things happen. But on the average, let's say that we. But we, it's more or less three month delay compared with the expected schedule. On the other hand, the pandemics, I must, I should say, it's a very cynical way to put it. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I don't mean this, but uh, the, the audience, the ratings uh, went high, very high. And actually, we, ha- we had our record hits for RT shows. We've been beating and, uh, and beating and beating again our records for one year. And for instance, is there a standout example in within that, that, you know, just as a way, just as an example? Oh, yes. As I said, it started with uh, Inhuman Resources and that still is the, the absolute record. It's two million viewers for a, each episode, which is very, very good, which is yeah. the, the double of a very, very good rating for Arte. <laughs> then in October, we had uh, DNA, French-Danish co-production, Kidnapping in French, which was, again, a great success. It was 1.5 million viewers each episode. And then we had No Man's Land in November, the same with the same ratings, 1.5. Which, of course, won a C21 non-English language award. That's right. You're absolutely right. That's right. Thank you. And I, well, I'm ashamed to not to have mentioned this because uh, we are actually, we were incredibly proud of this. <laughs> when I said we are more and more visible on the international stage, this is a very important and nice price. And uh, that was a great, great thing to us. And then, of course, and again, last February, we just now ended an incredible time with this in-treatment French adaptation, adaptation, en thérapie, yes, that is an absolute record. Again, 1.8 million viewers each episode. And the platform is an absolute record because it's 50 million viewers. That's uh, incredible <laughs> to us, at least. So that's one year where there has been, we are on a very positive and spiral that there are more and more viewers. And that I must say, it's a lot of the viewers were brought through the platform. And uh, now we have a kind of estimation, an average estimation that if you take all the, view, all the viewers of an art, art a show, there are about between 35%, 40% have seen the show on the platform, on the web platform. Mm. And for on therapy, it's half and half, meaning that we don't divide the audience into having two different medias to show yeah. the, but on the other hand that we um, we have an addition of 
of uh, various audience. People watch it on the platform and they would not watch it on TV. Aired. So, so your audience is incremental. You're not cannibalizing. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I mean, what do you see as the future for linear? Do you see younger audiences as they get older going back to linear? No. No, no. it's over. They won't. That's over. <laughs> they won't. Uh, I think, no, definitely. But uh, so our view is that the platform will be more and more important or ever more important in the next years. And that now it's more or less on the same level as the audience on, on the screen, if I may say so. And it's going to be more and more. And we have to develop then new shows thinking of this media. For instance, I might say we, on some shows we take more risk knowing now that there will be an audience on the platform for it that will be younger, that might appreciate something uh, more original, more transgressive. And uh, so we wouldn't dare do this to put it direct on the air. And now we think that we might go for some shows because we will try to build an audience and an image of the show on the platform first. So definitely the platform is going to be more and more important, strategic. Are you talking about digital-only shows at this point? Yes, since October. So we always had a, a catch-up, of yeah. course, on the platform, and we still we still do. But we launched on October 20. 2020, what we call a web-only offer, exclusive offer for, for shows. So far, there's been only acquisitions. They are not. Uh, we don't have any production dedicated for the. I mean, uh, dramas uh, dedicated to the uh, to the platform. But it's been a huge success, and so that's kind of positive spiral I was mentioning that now you see that the, the success, let's say, of the home shows, the Arte produced shows, are helped by the success of the web-only shows we have on the platform and people seeing these shows on the platform get back, not on not to watch TV, but get back on the platform to watch Arte shows. For instance, we started in October with something called British Décalé and uh, basically it was an offer of great British shows never shown in France, never aired in France. It was uh, inside number nine. There was uh, Mum, mm-hmm. which was uh, never shown in France. Stag, a mini-series, mm-hmm. three, three or four episode series. Uh, what we had, Young Doctor's Notebook, The Detectorists. All these shows were unknown in, in France, known only to the critics. And uh, it worked really, really, really well. So they've been absolute hits, these British shows. And it's very good for the Arte, for the image of Arte too. These acquisitions of cult but unknown in France series give an image of Arte, like uh, edgy, exploring, discovery. And so at the same time, it gives the curiosity, it brings people to watch other shows on the platform and even the Arte, the French uh, shows produced by Arte. So do you still maintain um, your regular two nights a week fiction rendezvous with a mixture of co-productions, originals and acquisitions in the way that yeah. you have done? That that remains a fixture. Yes, because the grid, you know, is a French-German <laughs> yes. uh, negotiation, so it would take 20, 30 years to change it. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely the platform is the right way to move forward. <laughs> yes, we, we still show on the same, on the same slot the Thursday evening 
between French dramas produced by Arte and all the foreign acquisitions or international co-productions we do. Last time we spoke, you, you were looking for your first French-led co-production. I mean, and there's been so much that's happened since. What currently in your uh, production slate, you know, what do you see as the key types of projects that you want to go forward with? And will you be looking to form partnerships where you can co-develop a slate of projects? We are uh, going step by step, project by project. And of course, we have huge now strong affinities with all the Scandinavian broadcasters and platforms. And uh, that's basically where we are looking for possible partners in Germany, of course, too. But so far, we are, as I said, we are working project by project, step by step. And it's still a long way to go because I mentioned No Man's Land because it was uh, an idea and created by French producers and led by us, but it's written by two great Israeli writers. So it's not completely French. And then we have uh, DNA, as I mentioned, written by a, a famous uh, Danish writer, one of the creators of uh, The Killing, with French, French actors and French characters in the story. And it was 50-50 co-production. But we are aiming at uh, doing better and more. And it, it, can, it can take strange ways, strange paths. We don't mind this. Maybe with other broadcasters, we would look at more French elements and uh, to be more adapted to the French markets. And um, as I mentioned, for instance, for Newmanston, having two Israeli writers, we're just happy because they're incredibly talented. So it didn't really matter. It was just like uh, no one would ask himself whether it's French, Israeli, English, since they were um, great English uh, actors too in, uh, in, the, in the story. And now, for instance, we are... In the middle, on near the end of the writing process of a series, it's the same thing. But we should not be able to tell if whether it's French or not. Actually, it's, it won't it won't sound French at all. It's called rematch, and it's it's uh, it tells the story of uh, what took place in '97 in New York when Kasparov made and lost against Deep Blue, the IBM computer supercalculator, and for the first time, a man lost against a machine and. Uh, so we are telling this story. It's a six by a 45 show. And it's written by French and French-speaking Canadians, writers. It's produced by a French producer and, and by us. But it's, there's, no one, there's nobody French in the story. It's no. Kasparov and American people from IBM and Spanish, Swedish chess masters. But it's kind of one of those international stories that uh, I can see appearing on networks all around the world. Hopefully. <laughs> or, or, or one of your uh, lovely streamers. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. But, but that means that for us, the way to the co-production, international cooperation is not necessarily being very, very French, having a strong French flavor. Hopefully we can do this too. We don't have uh, that strong project for, for this to, today. But we can, so that's what I, I said when I, we, we can stra- take strange or other paths and um, we see that uh, why wouldn't a French writer, French producer, a French team able to tell the story where there's nothing French, where it's more about mankind or expectations, fears. Yeah. 
of uh, our modern societies today. So who is the production company? Unité de Production. Mm. And that's a, a very talented producer. We've been uh, doing with him Mito. You, it's a, it was yeah. a successful show for us. And we are actually airing season two next October. And he was the producer of a uh, long time ago, Ainsi soit-il, The Churchman. Okay. was the first Arte hit in shows. What are the sorts of areas that you are looking for now? Are there particular areas in your slate and your development slate that you feel that you would like to round out with something else? Or do you take an opportunistic approach to the project as well as the partners? Both. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> of course, we wouldn't say no to a project that would strike us, even if it's not in the center of our target. But main, mainly we, are, we know what we don't want to do mm -hmm. in order to be different from the other French channels. Yeah. Basically, very easy. It's no cop show and very little or no at all uh, factual, like fait divers, like uh, tabloid stories, if I may say, like uh, children dis disappearing, being okay. murdered, and so on. Okay. And we don't do that much period drama either, because we are a strong documentary channel, so we leave that to the documentary slots. Mm -hmm. So what we, what we look for are dramas, really, human dramas. So we have the whole story, the plot, things English people are so good at. And that we were, well, just want to, to try to copycat. Uh, intimate human stories. And I must say, too, with a, often, if it's possible, a geopolitical, political background in the story. I just watched, for instance, to give you an idea, uh, Black Earth Rising, a BBC show on, now on Netflix, and about the genocide, genocide in Rwanda in 94. And uh, I found it really great being able to mix without never giving lessons, never teaching anything, but mixing uh, deep human stories, very moving, and uh, real uh, political informations and investigations. And, uh, I mean, No Man's Land would be one of those. Yes, definitely. That's for us um, a model or, or a way we would like to move on to explore. So if you were advising potential co-production partners or indeed people just pitching to you, you know, what would your advice to them be and what would you be open to at this point in time? <laughs> well, to have projects with strong personality. I remember doing... Um... In Human Resources, the director said, I don't want it in the, like the French cooking. I want it sometimes very spicy, other times very sweet. I don't want the middle. And that's what we, I could, I could take these words for, for our editorial choices. So really have strong, strong artistic or editorial statements in the projects and uh, not being willing to please the widest audience possible. But on the other hand, think that having a strong personality will seduce people. And do you like people to bring you projects at any stage with or without partners, with funding, without funding? Do you help them with the funding or is it any which way? It's any which way. We usually are very early on the project because we like to be part of the writing process. Of course, for uh, foreign projects, we, we know that we, we are a minor partner, so we have a minor play. But uh, still, we like to, to share these um, development processes, writing processes. It's a way to, for us to learn, too, and yeah. to see how, how people work, 
how they organize the writing processes and so on. It's always, it's always we, we have to catch up, I think, in France always about uh, the drama industry. And a lot depends on how you organize productions, writings, relations with the writers, the authors. What, one last observation, because, because the pandemic hasn't left us yet, do you feel that the industry has adapted and adjusted and put in place everything that's necessary to keep productions going and moving forward? Or are you at all concerned about delivery and the pipeline over the next year? No, now the processes are implemented and it's just that it's a bit heavier, a bit longer, a bit less costly. But uh, it's almost now, we are almost used to this. Now the producers know exactly what to do, how to respond, to react very quickly in order not to be interrupted. So it's more like, uh, yes, more costly and a bit longer. Regarding the pandemics, wherever it's difficult to say. For instance, we had an Italian co-production which was interrupted for three months, four months even, last summer. It's called Anna and it's by Sky Italy and it's a show by written and directed by Nicolo Amaniti. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we had uh, co-produced his previous show in Miracolo. And it's a great, great, great show, by the way. <laughs> we think it's just been aired by, on, in Italy by uh, on Sky. But for instance, so, so that was quite dramatic there in Sicily. It was uh, everything was uh, everything was stopped for four months. In the same time, we had an Icelandic co-production, Blackport. Everything went smooth <laughs> its way, and the same the same thing for a Norwegian co-production, Countryman. So it's difficult to we we, we couldn't say first let's go for a Norwegian or for a Scandinavian co-production because COVID is better managed yeah. there. Or... Yeah. Do you feel that the current climate will still throw a few curveballs? I mean, there's lots of mergers going on at the moment. Oh yeah. Oh yes. I, we feel we are very far from the battlefield <laughs> between giants, and uh, we are happy. We think there's a future for small platforms, provided they have, as I said, provided they have a strong statements, strong editorial statements, personality, or uh, and uh, people can come here. They have less choice, obviously. We have not thousands of hours of shows, but this choice makes sense to the audience, we hope. They know there will be a certain level, certain quality, certain values they will find in the shows we offer them. Olivier Watling speaking with Gunnar Cuse. You can listen to the full version of that interview by tuning into our C21 FM internet radio station, where you'll also find others we've aired this week, including with Reshet 13 Chief Creative Officer Amy Glam and Warner Media Kids Asia Pacific Director of Original Production Carling Tan. That's all for this episode. There'll be more on C21 FM from Monday and from the podcast next Friday. But in the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 